After a few weeks with her in the background, we finally get a Rose episode. Surviving what she believes is a near-death experience, Rose has decided to stop living her life for others and to start living it for herself. But she takes her newfound gumption to the extreme, starting her life over. Will Joni ever get her wedding cake? Will Rose shoot one of the mini vases in her new home? Will Sophia ever get to eat life? All of that and more in today's episode, Before and After. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing. And laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come. It's a moon over Miami kind of evening as we join Rose in the kitchen who's busy decorating a multi-tiered wedding cake for the neighbor girl. Yes, girl, Sophia. You don't have to give us an oh boy right out the gate with your judgmental woof over her appearance. It's not like she's Buzz's girlfriend. Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. With Rose in a yellow collared shirt and jeans, Sophia in her pink robe, and Dorothy in new pajamas, still uncomfortable looking with buttons and a collar, the ladies are up late for different reasons. Rose for the cake, Sophia because she had to go to the bathroom, and Dorothy because her mother had to go to the bathroom, and that's not something she does quietly. Well, with the toilet, not her actual, like, body sounds. Well, I don't know. But in this case, it was the toilet. Dorothy does make a good point. The seat really doesn't need to be moving around in a house full of ladies, but that doesn't mean Sophia should have to use a kitty litter tray. After Sophia stomps out, Dorothy uses her actual kind voice to acknowledge all the hard work Rose is doing. She's also not polite about Joni getting hitched, curious how she'll do her hair for the big day. Not her head hair, her ear hair. Once again, we're left wondering what time it is as Dorothy was asleep, Rose is on cake duty, and Blanche is coming in, wearing a shimmery skin tone outfit, home from a terrible date. Maybe it wasn't the worst date, but he was only a five with two Blanche makes you look good points. Joking about the wedding cake, Blanche suggests that they make a snack of it. Not realizing she was teasing, the people pleasing Rose won't mind making a new cake so they can have that one. She'll just have to do it after addressing 3,000 envelopes, picking up hootenanny decorations, running a car wash, and giving blood. So, no bigs. Dorothy is shocked at how overscheduled Rose is, that she doesn't seem to be able to say no. So, in lieu of wedding cake or cheesecake, the ladies are having a chocolate sundae. Thinking the paper Rose is now searching for involves directions for the Sundays, Dorothy tells her not to worry about it. They know how to make them. But Rose is worried. The paper she's looking for were the directions for where to take the wedding cake, and she promised to get it to the wedding by 8. 8 tomorrow, I hope. Don't tell me Blanche came home at 8 p.m. Also, that would be a plot whoopsie since she was just keen with the idea of making a replacement cake tomorrow. According to idioms.com, idle hands are the devil's workshop goes back as far as the 12th century with Chaucer referencing it, but it's believed to be, not directly said, but sort of referenced in the Bible. It basically means if someone doesn't have something to do, they'll only find trouble. 
And from EverydayHealth.com, not only is it not proven that cold surfaces cause hemorrhoids, it's believed a cold compress could actually help with the swelling and to alleviate the pain associated with a hemorrhoid. So Blanche's uncle should be listened to about 50% of the time. As Blanche continues to twaddle on about her uncle while struggling against the stubborn ice cream, there's a clang in the living room. Running out of the kitchen, the girls find Rose sitting on the floor, grabbing her chest. All she can groan is, call an ambulance. As Blanche comforts her, Dorothy puts the knocked-over phone back on the receiver and calls for help. Coco, you were very upset by this moment. Yeah, I really don't like seeing them in pain. I don't like seeing them lonely. And I, spoilers, especially don't like seeing them in a hospital bed. My God. You were like, it's like grandma. Except my grandma was evil. (laughs) But it is. You come to, like, love these women so much that it's like, oh, no, this is scary and awful. Don't leave us, Rose. Ah! Heaven sounds... That was good. Thank you. (laughs) Did you say heaven sounds? Yep. We're back at Biscayne Hospital, finding the girls anxiously awaiting news regarding Rose's health. Well, not all the girls are worried. Sophia, an expert in the signs of old age and death, isn't. Sophia's signs are the kids visiting more often, you can't post-date a check, and cream of wheat, the blandest food, becomes too spicy. But those aren't exactly the signs that death is knocking at your door. The 11 signs from medicalnewstoday.com are a decreased appetite, sleeping more, becoming less social, a change in vitals, having toileting issues, weakened muscles, a drop in temperature, confusion, breathing changes, increased pain, and hallucinations. Uh Uh-oh. Before Sophia can get further into her list, Dorothy puts a stop to it. This is no time for joking around. This is a big deal. Sophia knows that, which is exactly why she's joking. The idea of losing a child of her own, which is how she feels about Rose, is devastating. Since she can't process her grief via humor with this crowd, she'll just go try the jello in the cafeteria, as her Canasta Club rated it three stars. Huh, I hope that's out of five stars and not ten. Canasta is a rummy-related game, a variety of 500 rum. It started in the 1940s, originating in Argentina and Uruguay. It gained popularity in the United States in the 1950s. Just as Sophia leaves for her snack, Dr. Wallerstein comes in with news about Rose. Nat Bernstein, playing Dr. Wallerstein, has had a handful of acting credits on shows like The Wonder Years, Bosom Buddies, and Newhart, but he's more known as a writer and producer— writing for shows like Doogie Howser and The Gregory Hines Show, producing those as well as Ally McBeal and Center of the Universe. And don't worry, we get to see him again next week. Leaving the waiting room, the ladies are taken into Rose's room to see her. That's when they learn she'll be just fine. She had simply suffered from an esophageal spasm. And now it's time to revisit the Mayo Clinic to learn about esophageal spasms. Esophageal spasms are painful contractions within the muscular tube connecting your mouth and stomach, your esophagus. Esophageal spasms can feel like sudden severe chest pain that lasts from a few minutes to a few hours. Some people may mistake it for heart pain. Esophageal spasms typically occur only occasionally and might not need treatment, but sometimes the spasms are frequent and can prevent food and liquids from traveling through the esophagus. If esophageal spasms interfere with your ability to eat or drink, treatments are available. Signs and symptoms include squeezing pain in your chest, and it might be intense, 
difficulty swallowing solids and liquids, sometimes related to swallowing specific substances such as red wine or extremely hot or cold liquids, feeling that an object is stuck in your throat, and the return of food and liquids back up your esophagus. As far as a cause, it's not clear what causes esophageal spasms. However, they appear to be related to abnormal functioning of nerves that control the muscles when you use them to swallow. A healthy esophagus normally moves food into your stomach through a series of coordinated muscle contractions. A spasm makes it difficult for the muscle walls of your lower esophagus to coordinate in order to move food to your stomach. And there are no known risk factors for esophageal spasms. After all the fear and worry, the ladies are delighted to learn Rose's condition isn't serious and she'll actually be going home with them momentarily. As soon as the doctor is gone, an excited Rose sits up to tell the girls her good news. During her episode, she actually died and went to heaven. Coco, have you had any near-death experiences like life flashing before your eyes kind of thing? No, never. Well, that's good. I, You're well, a safe boy. Thank you. Yeah, I, I feel like ashamed of that, but that's <laughs> no. probably good. I'm cool with that. That's, that's, that's good. It's good for me. I did it. That is good. I think I was 10 years old and my friend uh, had a boat. Well, my, my dad's coworker, you know, we were all like family and we all went out on the boat and then I was like, yeah, I'll try water skiing. And they walked me through everything. Like when you feel it pull, you pull yourself up and then you go and it took a couple tries and they, you know, they had told me every part and I finally got up and I was water skiing. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then I fell and what they hadn't told me was to let go of the rope. And in my 10-year-old brain, I was like, I can't let go. I'm in the river. They're going to drive off, and I'll just be left out here. And I could feel the water going over my face, and I saw my dog, Bob, and I saw my parents. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm going to drown right now. Like, that's awful. And then I couldn't hold it anymore, and then they pulled me out of the water. And they're like, why didn't you let go? And I'm like, no one told me to. I thought I'd be lost in the river. And they're like, they were all freaked out because they were just watching the water go over my face, and they couldn't get the guy to stop fast enough with the boat. They're like, stop the boat. And here I am. I'm so glad you made it. <laughs> um, I, me I've, too. I've been around a little bit of water skiing in my life, and it's just been a full-on no my whole life. <laughs> There's no way I'll be up. I'll get up. There's no way I can I can be floating in the water with skis. I don't like the rope. <laughs> I don't like being that far away from the boat. So so you're out. Always and forever. <laughs> but I'll watch you ski. I don't. I haven't done it since. I'd like to. It was fun, but the drowning part. The drowning part was not. No, that was not the fun part. <laughs> Equally numb to and shocked by Rose's stories, the girls are at a loss. But Dorothy reminds her, Don't you remember the time you passed out from drinking and you thought you were an enchanted broom? Again, as a non-drinker, I can't fully relate, and while I've never felt like an animated broom from the orchestrated 1940 Disney classic Fantasia, I have indulged in other adult treats to the point that I was convinced I was a piece of kelp and I couldn't get off the floor, so I get it. But no, Rose knows this was different. She didn't faint. She didn't black out. She didn't hallucinate. She was in the outskirts of heaven. So perhaps she's not Presbyterian, but maybe Mormon or a Scientologist. But this wasn't like the heaven you see in cartoons. This was like Grand Central Station in New York, but it was clean and didn't have Hare Krishnas. Wow, those Hare Krishnas really did have a moment in the 80s. As she looked around, everything from the platforms to the gift shops were packed with people. Outlandish as all of this has been so far, it's the gift shop that stops Blanche in her tracks. Heaven has a gift shop? 
Of course it does, says Dorothy, seizing an opportunity for a sarcastic joke. Heaven has a gift shop is a great country song title. Yeah, it is. Heaven has a gift <laughs> shop. And I'll buy some super expensive flowers for you. Where everything is free. It just costs your soul. Pay the same as you and me. He died for our sins. So we could buy a mug. So come and grab a t-shirt. And maybe God will give you a hug. Like that? Not at all like that. (laughs) Playing on the phrase, today is the first day of the rest of your life, Dorothy's joke has a much deeper and darker history than just a little joke. So the man that is attributed with the quote, Charles Diedrich, struggled with addictions, both of drugs and fame. Attending AA meetings, he became known as the guy who could talk at the podium for hours. Then when he took LSD and realized the meetings weren't working, he opened a rehab facility of his own where he made millions of dollars annually. Eventually, it became a cult, of course, called Synanon, where women were forced to shave their heads and have abortions. The men were forced to have vasectomies. I'm pretty sure I'll have to cover this on Murder in the Rain, as the organization was accused of multiple crimes, including involvement in the disappearance of a woman and mass beatings of teenagers. On top of all of that, it's believed the quote that he was so well known for was actually from a Portuguese singer, Sergio Gontillo. Not that he was the only musical influence. The members even made a jazz band. Here's their groovy hit from 1969. Oh, boy. Ignoring all the tomfoolery, Rose continues with her story, telling the girls how she found the train schedule and all the destinations were heaven. And she's right. Destination Heaven does sound like a great movie, and I am truly shocked Hallmark hasn't combined the title and Golden Girls fandom into a Christmas movie. So, Coco, let's get to writing that. What's the plot? It's the four girls, but not Golden Girls, but Golden Girls. And one of them dies and goes to heaven, but for real, and then comes back and convinces the town heaven exists right before the holidays and Santa shows up, and then they get to kiss their boys that they love. They sign up for a vacation to a resort called Heaven, and then they take a cruise there, and it's, like, great. And then they get there and find out that it's actually Heaven, and they've already died. (gasps) That's a little dark. But they're happy they're together. What if it's the little town is named Heaven? Destination Heaven, and they go there to do Christmas, and then they realize this place is Heaven because I'm with my friends. That's right. That's even better. (laughs) And they're dead. Oh my God, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) While in her post-life state, Rose was delighted to find she was in heaven, but most displeased to realize she was dead. Wandering in shock, it was the familiar voice of her deceased uncle calling out for her that grabbed her attention. After getting hit in the mouth with a steam shovel, he was left with a speech impediment and dead. A steam shovel is a huge construction tool. Getting whacked in the face isn't like a comical shovel to the face like in a cartoon. It's like getting bashed with a backhoe. As the girls try to keep from outright laughing at Rose, she goes on. Woes, you can go back to Earth. But here's my advice. Don't get hit with a steam shovel and make the most of your life. 
ready to go home and west, Dorothy tries to get Woes settled down, but she can't. She's a new woman, a changed woman, a woman that's hungry for life. When Sophia finally returns, Rose tells her the good news too. Nodding and patronizingly celebrating with Rose, Sophia then uses her trademark mouth cover to ask Blanche to get a doggy bag full of whatever pill the overjoyed Rose is on. It's believed doggy bags are called such as the leftovers were only going home to be fed to the family dog. Now that's a fun fact. Back at home, we're treated to a very sexy shot of the living room phone. Shadows fill the room. The light from the moon breaks through the glass of the weird back area, shedding whispers of moonlight across the beige plastic. When its obnoxious ring begins, Dorothy in her yellow housecoat and actual pajamas, looking like pajamas, of colorful, flowy pants with a light, flowy shirt, makes her way from her room to answer it. But doesn't she have a phone in her room? It's clearly late at night as she tells the caller, it's sleepy time. Then whomever this creep is that is not only hanging out with our dear sweet Rose, but talking to a complete stranger, shares that because he can't come party with Dorothy, he now has blue balls and he's going to die from it. This man is awful and Rose needs to get rid of him. Dorothy's right. Blue balls won't kill this guy. She's also right about the shower. The blue comes from the blood flow to the genitals, but either by self-stimulation or distraction, you know, grandma playing baseball, you can alleviate the erection and therefore the testicular pressure. The cold shower helps because it pulls blood away from the penis. Coco, you're an expert in this department. When I had my very first girlfriend and I was still Family a, show, family show. And I was still a virgin. Uh, I dropped her off from a date at her door and kissed her. And it was great. And, and you're then, how old? Uh, 20. Okay. And I get back in my car to drive home, and there's just like this icy, piercing pain in my jeans. <laughs> Did it come with an accompanying, um, were you physically aroused at that time, or was it only no. testicular pain? Yeah, just the, just the nuggets. How interesting. It hurt like that. It was like a brain freeze in my crotch. <laughs> That's the best way to say it. Well, you have had a close call with death then. We're, I mean, glad, we're I, glad you're still here. I just wanted to pop him off my body. <laughs> Get him out of here. You've done me nothing but harm. <laughs> Looking like that down there. <laughs> Mr. Wrinkles. Your cat, of course. You're talking about your pet cat. My hairless cat, Mr. Wrinkles. <laughs> Always playing with my balls. Walking in just in time to hear Blanche share that she's abhorred, Sophia can't help but agree. Abhorred is to be disgusted. A whore is something completely different. Rose must really be acting out as even Sophia feels like she's been abhorred lately. Worried about how extreme Rose's behavior has become, Dorothy can't help but be scared for her. Blanche is so understanding, she almost sounds jealous. She's the one having to deal with all the phone calls while Rose is out eating life. Life cereal, original flavor, first came out in 1961. It wasn't until 1978 that we were blessed with cinnamon life. It's pretty surprising Sophia has only had it once since she's been exposed to the iconic Mikey commercial for about 10 years by this time. He likes it. Hey, Mikey. When you bring life home, don't tell the kids it's one of those nutritional cereals you've been trying to get them to eat. You're the only one who has to know. 
Do you like Life Cereal? I love Life Cereal. Me too. It's so good. It is so good. Cin- something... I prefer Cinnamon Life. Me too. There's something about the thinness of it uh-huh. and then the light sweetness of it. And it kind of becomes, um, it's it's the most appropriately overly soggy cereal. It gets great when it gets soggy. It's almost supposed to be like a cold oatmeal. Like it's just a big pile and it's so good. Mm. I love Cinnamon Life. After allowing her mother to jabber on about cereal for a moment, Dorothy excuses Sophia to go to bed. But now she wants cereal. As Dorothy continues to vocalize her fears, Blanche's comfort comes in the form of, I believe, throwing shade at Shirley MacLaine. Earlier in the series, there was a joke about Shirley and her many comebacks. I feel pretty sure that that's the same joke here, just that she died several times, but always landed on her feet. I have, I might have some insight on that oh, one. Oh, please. I have a memory of her uh, being involved with psychic sort of things. And yes. Like maybe she had, she had done some interview where she talked about having past lives and at the time people were like cuckoo i mean people probably still do that but cuckoo we're talking a million years ago is remember the atlantean time period lasted 850,000 years what to do with a pretty long term memory <laughs> and so it's 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 sank in a series of and then i got to thinking as i was watching cnn and various news shows what would they think of me then between what is going on now but i decided to do it because to have the experience that's the power really of doing things for nothing and good for her you know it's like okay that might be weird to some people but she's like i don't care this is what i believe and i'm going to talk about it as long as she wasn't trying to scam people oh everybody's a scammer just then a pink shirt and white pants wearing rose comes in happy to see the girls while informing them of her plans to grab some blankets for the six people in some rando van out front who are all headed to the beach for a sunrise picnic The girls don't appreciate the invitation just as they don't appreciate their lives being interrupted with Rose's nonsense, so they call her out. You have swung the pendulum too far the other way. You went from doing everything for everyone else to doing everything for yourself. Not hearing the concerns of her friends, Rose takes their words to mean that they wish she was home doing work for them. And as much as they're trying to make the point that it's not them, it's her, she just won't hear it. They are only asking for the respect a shared space requires, and before they can have a calm and clear conversation about it, Rose makes a decision for them. She will just move out. It's a new day, and Blanche, in her white lace PJs and robe, along with a white and navy striped sweater wearing Dorothy, are sorrowfully sitting at the kitchen table when a gleeful Sophia pops in with exciting news. Her friend's cousin is doing Tony Bennett's bathroom wallpaper. Dean Martin, as we've discussed, was a member of the Rat Pack and part of the comedy duo Martin and Lewis. Liberace was a celebrated pianist, singer, and performer. His eccentricities made Elton John look like Billy Joel. Don Rickles was a stand-up known for his insult comedy, and Mitzi Gaynor is an actress who's best known for her role in the film adaptation of South Pacific. This list of friends isn't a far reach from the reality as to who would be at beloved crooner Tony Bennett's house. Why, here's Liberace and Dean Martin performing together. Oh, Roger Miller and Robert Goulet, what a great, great year.
When Sophia's letter claims all those famous folks came by to use Tony's loo in one day, Dorothy's confused. Well, what do you want, Dorothy? She's just the messenger. She's no urologist to the stars. Which reminds me of a great joke from one of my favorite movies, which Coco loves to hear about, Scary Movie 3. I need you back here tomorrow night after you pick up Sue. That tractor needs fixing. Sorry, dog. I can't help you. I have to get ready for my show. Not that stupid hip-hop stuff again. Damn it, George. When are you going to do something with your life? I got a dream. What is your dream? To have a dream. George, all you've done is chase adolescent fantasies. I want to be an astronaut, a cowboy, gynecologist of the stars. Ugh. <laughs> Dorothy's colicky mood is inspired by Rose's leaving of the house. While Blanche, hiding her feelings, fake laughs it off, Dorothy isn't quite ready to be laughing. Popping in to say her goodbyes, Rose is first greeted by Sophia, who has some advice. In some sort of oh boy, she shares some gibberish about swimming upstream with different paths. And when Dorothy questions the point, defensive Sophia is like, if I were Gandhi, or as she says, a bald guy in a diaper, she'd be running India. Then for someone who has just said days before that losing Rose would be like losing a child, Sophia gives her the lightest little hug before leaving. After her life-changing death, Rose is happy to be going, with or without anyone's blessing. With a, thanks for everything, worthy of a server at dinner, Rose tells the girls bye. Before she's out the door, Dorothy, who clearly has more to say, simply tells her she'll forward the mail. With a heartbroken wave, Blanche says bye. We start outside a very hip-looking apartment building, and we quickly go inside, and boy oh boy, what an 80s house. So many big vases, so much weirdly shaped furniture, so much pastel. Coco, what were your thoughts on the apartment? You had kind of a visceral reaction. My first thought was that I could fit into the first vase that we see. <laughs> the big blue one. Your head just pops out. It was every shape, every item, everything in that room was so off. It kind of looked like they were in a forced perspective scene in The Lord of the Rings or something. Those chairs were so weird. All of it, a nightmare. It's like It's just like the LaCroix paint line of everything. And uh, the roommate, too, was a real LaCroix of a person. Oh, just don't, don't even, even get me started on even. Stephanie. Actually, you get started. Well, here I go. As Rose wanders trying to make herself at home, she runs into one of her new roommates, Stephanie. Rosanna Huffman, Stephanie, had a long and notable career. She had a long run on Murder One. In addition, she was in ER, Seventh Heaven, Babe, Fern Gully, Family Ties, Moonlighting, Hill Street Blues, and Mission Impossible. When Stephanie first gets Rose's name wrong, Rose starts to tell her a poem to help her remember. Before we can learn what that is, Stephanie shuts her down. Yeah, got it. Since Stephanie, the witch, won't let us hear the poem, I decided to make one up. R is for red like her rosy cheeks. O is for Olaf, the land of saints. S is for sensitive, just like she. E is for everything, which is what she can be. That seems St. Olafian, right? Uh, painfully. <laughs> I wish we had been privy to more time and events with Rose's new friends. How did she find this house? Why didn't she move in with one of her picnic friends so she would know that they would be up for going to the beach, unlike Stephanie, who only lives there because of the proximity to her job? In a surprisingly casual use of a prescription drug, Steph is like, can I have a Valium? Valium in this case is being used to chill out. It works by calming the brain and nerves. I'm on Team Rose here. I would rather have a lifesaver, maybe wintergreen, over a Valium. 
Another new roommate is here and her name is Liz. In showing just how much none of them hang out, when she calls Stephanie Steph, she corrects her, Stephanie. Ugh, Stephanie sucks. Liz kind of does too, as she assumes, due to Rose's age, that she is Stephanie's mother. When she learns that they are new roommates, she's unaffected and goes into work mode, welcoming her aboard. Playing Liz is Deborah May. She continues to work after getting her start in 1973. While there isn't one specific role that stands out, she had multiple characters that were on multiple shows for multiple episodes. Some of those roles have been as Natanya on The Walking Dead, Mary Kane on ER, Fran Hertz on Days of Our Lives, Melanie Parrish on The Larry Sanders Show, Dana Benson on Murder One, I like to imagine she and Rosanna became friends working on that show together, and Terry Valerie on St. Elsewhere. Of course, there was also Carla Stritch on La Law. When Rose starts to ask stuck-up Steph about Liz and is shocked when she knows nothing about her roommate of a year, Steph lays it all out. They're just roomies. Nothing more. They just happen to share the same space. It's here we learn that something has happened with the new friends Rose has gained post-death. They aren't actually in touch anymore. And perhaps inspired by one of my favorite films of all time, which came out in 1985, Rose borrows a line from Pee Wee Herman, telling her new roomies not to worry. She's a loner, a rebel. I don't understand. You don't want to get mixed up with a guy like me. I'm a loner, daddy. A rebel. Heading to the window to appreciate her beachfront view, Rose quickly falls into not technically a St. Olaf story, but the story of her first time seeing the beach. She and Charlie had driven out and nearly crashed when she blew on his ear. And before we can hear the end of the titillating story about their wedding night, Steph sees herself out, leaving Rose talking to no one. There's something so sad about how Betty plays this moment. The words of her story trailing off, she looks out the window. Maybe it's because she has thin lips like my Grammy, but the way she lets out a sigh before kind of curling her lip in, you can tell she's grateful for the view, but feels so lonely. Back at the Roseless house, Dorothy is on the couch in her green and black striped shirt from the actor audition, and Blanche has just come home in head-to-toe purple. She used retail therapy to help boost her mood, buying them some gifts. Well, she bought herself gifts and bought Dorothy edible underwear, of which she'll snack on before bed. I also like to, I hadn't noticed until we were watching, that when Sophia comes out and she very abruptly is like, what's going on? She... Dorothy kind of holds them up and is like, oh, look what she got me. Like, (laughs) yay. And then it's not acknowledged either. So it's like kind of a funny little moment. I would like it if someone made their own edible underwear. Oh, that'd be cool. What about popcorn, stringed popcorn for the holidays? Popcorn panties, trademarked. Yeah, but the popcorn panties are um, stuck to the body with caramel. Yeah. So it's like, I guess it would look sort of like a messy popcorn diaper. (laughs) (laughs) Nummy. Well, the original candy pants, as they were called, came out in 1975. And unlike the edible panties of today that we see really more often, which include the little hard candies on strings, they were and do continue to be made out of kind of a licorice fruit leather. Coming in from the kitchen to find the girls and bags, Sophia asks, what's going on? Disinterested in Blanche's shopping finds, she settles in for story time. But the girls are not interested. Even when she says it'll be short, they give her a no. When she settles for an anecdote, they finally agree. So she starts her story. Some twins are talking about the streaking craze. One of them does it. They pass two older ladies. The 90-year-old twin went so fast, the ladies couldn't tell what they were looking at. 
All they know is whatever it was, it needs to be ironed. Mr. Wrinkles? That was more of an anecdote than a story, but it was really more of a joke than an anecdote. The streaking craze was a thing. Starting in colleges, because duh, it spread to the biggest events in the world. There was one going across the field in Super Bowl 38, and even on stage during the Oscars in 1970. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was almost bound to happen. (laughs) But isn't it fascinating that... (laughs) Fascinating to think that, that probably the only laugh that man will ever get in his life is by stripping off and showing his shortcomings. Maybe she didn't have a good anecdote, but she does have good advice. If the girls miss Rose, why don't they just go see her? Then you won't miss her. But Blanche has a good counterpoint. Why should we go there to tell her we miss her when she hasn't called or come by here to tell us that she misses us? Dorothy has a reasonable explanation. She's died before. Maybe this time she's gone and done it again. Rocking a fabulous pink sweater with a large white goose in the middle of it and a texture that I can only describe as goose flesh, Rose has just come home to the apartment and is delighted to see all three roommates are home at the same time for the first time in weeks. When she offers to make them all dinner, they break it to her. They already have dinner plans. And Liz, taking a page out of Steph's book, reminds her they aren't friends. They're just roommates, which is kind of hard to believe when you're both walking out the door with each other to go to dinner. Steph and Liz. Just as the lying jerk friends are leaving, they're surprised to see Blanche and Dorothy on the other side of the door. Rose is delighted her friends are there and she welcomes them in. Covering up her hurt from the roomie's abandonment, she pretends she'll be meeting up with them and that they have a bunch of inside jokes. The vibe is awkward as no one really knows what to say except for Rose, who is lying to her friends' faces about how happy and busy she's been. After telling her they're happy for her, Dorothy and Blanche see themselves out, feeling unmissed, unwanted, and unloved. Wanting to tell the girls the truth, Rose calls down to the doorman to try and stop them, but they're already gone. I'm guessing she lives on the first floor as they were out of there in seconds. Then, with hopes of substituting her friends with a new one, Rose invites the doorman she's never met to go out to coffee. He'd love to, but he's already seeing a tenant. Also, he's working. It's hard to see Rose so sad and lonely, but sometimes stubbornness and fear of failure or judgment can have us trying new things or changing up our lives, and when it isn't what we think it will be, we feel ashamed and don't want to admit that we've made a mistake. But coming home is a much better option than staying in an unhappy situation. The voice of the doorman, Tony Pope, is actually the voice of a lot of things. Almost all of his 133 credits are for voice work in animation, video games, and ADR. Coco, real quick, ADR for those that don't know. Additional dialogue recording, I think? Boom. ADR is when actors go in or whoever voice actors go in after a movie or TV show has been shot and they record new dialogue uh, for clarity of story or because the performance wasn't up, you know, wasn't the right tempo or whatever, or the sound was bad or something and they record new dialogue. And so that's why it sometimes sounds like coming in from another universe because it is the dialogue. Thank you. Thank you, Coco. Your kids might actually know Tony as the voice of Professor Quigley in the Leapfrog programs. He's also been Geppetto in the House of Mouse and Kingdom Hearts. He was in Diablo 2, Zorro, Star Wars games. He's done it all, even earning the top spot of voice acting, Goofy. You see, if you play fair and work together as a team, anyone can be number one. 
the girls are back home and it's a Saturday night. It's hard to believe, but Blanche is dateless. I love the term criminally sensuous, which she uses to describe herself, comparing her looks to that of her southern counterpart, Tallulah Bankhead. Tallulah Bankhead, the actress who was to be my namesake if my dad hadn't intervened, was from Huntsville, Alabama, and was a stunner. Besides her looks and talent both on stage and screen, Tallulah was an outspoken supporter of civil rights, which, as a southern belle in the 1930s and 40s, was scandalous enough. But the fact that she had multiple generations of multiple family members in politics and she publicly spoke out against them and their Jim Crow policies was quite taboo. Funny enough, B got to work with Tallulah. Her well-known diva side came out, and B had this to say about their encounter in her Lifetime TV intimate portrait. She said, "You know, you Beatrice, you know, you divine Beatrice, and you were the only one who asked me what it was like coming down that staircase. And I know what you were thinking. You were thinking it could never happen to me." What does it feel like? I didn't know what to say. She said, I want to tell you something, dear. Strictly a matter of bone structure. She said, talent, because you have the talent, it's a matter of bone structure. At which point I thought, I'll get even with you, you miserable It's less surprising that Dorothy doesn't have a date, so the two lonely women start to discuss how they can spend their evening. We could clean our closets, we could go to a movie, or as Rose, who has just snuck in through the back door, suggests, we could pig out while we talk dirty. As they each grab their parts of the Sunday puzzle, Rose implies she's coming back home. Without a word about the phase of figuring herself out that Rose just went through, the gals get right back to who they were, Blanche even sharing that she and Tony Bennett had an affair. I'm going home. To my city by the bay. When important people remove themselves from us, it can be hard to understand or to come to terms with. While the ladies sat at home worried about Rose, she was sitting at home missing them. If either side had just said how they were truly feeling, without fear of judgment or rejection, they could have been back together even sooner. It's great to see Rose end up back home, but I hope she and the girls talk more about how she can find a balance in life, how to live to help others, and to live your life for yourself. Coco and I can relate to Dorothy and Blanche. We actually had someone in our life who kind of, just like Rose, up and left. We had felt so close, but the terms in which they left still have us feeling not only hurt and abandoned, but confused. If they wanted us to contact them, wouldn't they engage in conversation? Maybe. Or maybe they're just like Rose and are too scared or embarrassed to reach out. But I'd just like to say, in case they're listening, we do care about you, we miss you, and we hope everything has been going well for you. We wish you nothing but the best. Remember to make the most of the time you're given. You'd be surprised how quickly it goes. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we learn all about Mr. Sandman in And Then There Was One. And there are no known risk fast risk fasters. <laughs> Not even a little bit.
fine. Get back to work. <laughs> Last time I write you a country <laughs> song about Heaven's gift shop. Walking into the living room just in time to hear Blanche, ugh, funky dunk. If you want to beat death, Gmail us. Pianist, singer, and performer, his, 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 his. Heading to the window to appreciate her beach, beach. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't feel good it's on the body. Sticky. Very sticky. It'd be like jelly fingers, but you know, <laughs> down there. <laughs> Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.